Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Hi, my name's Morgan, and I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 13. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in and any, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You may be seated. Thanks, Morgan. Earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God. How often do you find yourself content with where you are? How often do you take inventory of where you are and how you feel about where you are in your life? Whether your life is characterized by lack or excess or somewhere in between, Do you find yourself right now content with your life? Excited about this exact time, not about what's next on the schedule, the next Instagram post, your upcoming trip to the quaintest town in Italy. Are you excited about now? And I wonder, do you believe God can fill you? Do you believe God can fill you? Or are you simply content with your search for the next big thing? Good morning, church. Uh, My name is Matt Delano. I am the discipleship minister here. Uh, If you are new uh, or are still relatively uh, new to this church, uh, we just want to say we're so glad you're here. Uh, I'd love to catch you after service today uh, just to chat with you a bit. Uh, Today, we are closing out a series uh, called Simple, How to Prepare Your Soul, Your Schedule, and Your Stuff for God. And as Zane, our lead preaching minister, has led us these last four weeks, we've been talking about Jesus' simple invitation, the simple invitation to simplify the external things in our life, to provide space for the internal work of God. And we've had a challenge these last few weeks. It has been to give up 36 items in 36 days leading up to Easter. To simplify our external life. And just to let you know, there's seven days left. Everybody on top of it? Good to go? If you haven't started, you got this. I believe in you. No, I'm just kidding. I do believe in you. Not kidding about that. Kidding about you're doing great. 
Now, just based on what we saw a few weeks ago at ShareFest, God, God has been open-handed through the people at this church. And we appreciate your bravery, your open-handedness, and all we ask is that you keep pushing. It matters. In these last couple weeks, uh, as I mentioned, we've talked about our stuff, we've talked about uh, what we consume and why it matters, we've talked about our schedules, our commitments, but today, we want to stop and look at Christ's invitation to take notice. Because all of us need help choosing to seek God in the moment, rather than the next big thing, the next event, the next thrill, the next vacation. We need to come to terms with something. And I want to call it the I can't wait for fill in the blank attitude. You know this. Y'all, I am the king of this. <laughs> I'll give you time. I will share my long list of I can't wait while you're thinking of yours, okay? Don't worry. I can't wait to go golfing. I can't wait for the next vacation. I can't wait uh, for there to be no dirty diapers, for there to be no dirty dishes, for there to be no dirty laundry, right? I can't wait for my kids to go to bed. Don't tell them that. This is a big one, y'all. I'm sharing my heart with you. I can't wait to have control of the remote. <laughs> Frozen, Encanto, Sing, 24-7. I mean, she's sleeping and it's still playing. I mean, it just keeps going. Uh, this is one, I told my wife I would plug this in. She said, I can't wait to go to the bathroom alone. <laughs> I know. And y'all, this... You may not experience these things. These are parent problems, I know. But all of us have our list of I can't wait. It's everywhere in our lives. And to be honest, it's not healthy. And it's surely not of God. And you may be thinking, Matt, where are you going? Are you telling me I can't ex be excited about upcoming things or, or next trips or next events? Yeah, I am. Well, well not completely. But what I am telling you is that God wants something different for you. God doesn't want your craving for flashy experiences, your pursuit of the best things, to hijack your ability to experience God in simple ways. God doesn't want your craving for flashy experiences to miss out on experiencing God in simple ways. And I'm not talking about experiencing God once a year once a decade, I am talking about experiencing God at the same clip we check our Instagrams, the same clip we check our lawn, the same clip we check our brackets, the same clip we check our bank accounts. Don't worry, there's money still there. Our God longs for us time and time again to find a way to fully affirm what Paul said this morning. God, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. And in doing so, we do that even when it seems foolish, even when it seems the opposite of what the world deems as contentment. So today we're going to simplify our lives by ridding ourselves of the desire to solely chase the next thing. Because it will never compare. It will never compare to the moments we have with God and with 
the people of God right now. Now, before we dig deeper into the practical, um, I just want us to spend some time sitting with the text that Morgan read this morning. Uh, This morning, we're going to learn from the Apostle Paul. Uh, He is going to be teaching us just as he taught the Philippians. He wrote this letter of pastoral encouragement that you can find in the second half uh, or in the middle of the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. We will have any of those texts on screen, but feel free to follow along in your Bible. But what's interesting, he's writing a letter to the church that he founded. And, and these are important words nonetheless, but in particular, right, he's writing about contentment at a time where he is likely either arrested in prison or under house arrest in Rome. He's reaching out in thanksgiving to the people of God who continue to support the mission of Christ. And these, are, these people aren't just nobodies to him. He calls them beloved. Paul is teaching us about Jesus' invitation to simplify our experiences because he doesn't want us to miss where contentment is found. So I want us to read this morning again. Paul says, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. Believe me, he does. Stripped of all things, imprisoned multiple times, snake-bitten, shipwrecked, executed. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or, un- or hungry. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Y'all, Paul doesn't view having plenty, having the best things as a confirmation of the gospel. Nor does he believe that being in poverty, having little is a disconfirmation of the gospel. Because Paul's version of contentment is not even close to most of America's. Paul actually is speaking out about Jesus' way of subverting what writer Richard Ford describes as American contentment. Richard writes, American contentment is the nervous American intensity for something else. The nervous American intensity for something else. We learn to never be satisfied. We're always intensely searching for the next thing. Hoping it might just cram the right amount of joy in our life. But I wonder... When you found that next thing, when it's come, when it's happened, when you're there, does the feeling ever last? When you got your children in the best daycare, when you moved to that new city, when you've finally accrued as much wealth as possible, when you've bought the house or car you've always dreamed of, does it give you joy that stays around? Most often, when we're chasing after that next shiny thing, even when we get it, what we realize is we just trampled over goodness that was right under our noses, right before us. And this is what Paul is getting at in the text today. And right before what he said, or what we read just a few moments ago, he says this, 
Beloved Philippians, keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. In essence, imitate me. Put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. What specifically has Paul taught them? You might be wondering, what is the secret he spoke about? The secret is that Paul was living a resurrected life right then and there. He knew what it meant to constantly acknowledge God's presence in every part of his life. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. To imitate his ways and to live into resurrection. Instead of preaching and teaching the prosperity gospel, Paul teaches the Philippians. He teaches us that contentment is found in Jesus alone. A Jesus who empowers us and sustains us in a life of service regardless of obstacles. The power of Christ's resurrection is the only thing that has bred contentment in the life of Paul. And you may be thinking, you know, if, if you've heard Paul's story already, um, or if you hear it someday, you'll know that Paul didn't have a story like the rest of us necessarily. Paul experienced heaven on earth in a moment, an extraordinary blinding moment on the road to Damascus. And to be honest, some of us have had a mountaintop experience like that. A spark of imagination. Maybe seeing Jesus himself. But some of us may never get that experience in the day today. But that's okay. Because what Paul teaches us is that his life was marked with common bushes of fire with God. Paul couldn't help but see the power and hope in the resurrected king. And as we move towards Easter, I wonder, how much simpler would your life be? Simpler, not easier. How much simpler would your life be if you found contentment in Christ alone? Earth is crammed with heaven. Every common bush of fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. In Christ's resurrection, Paul noticed heaven crammed into earth. The stanza I just read was from a poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning that reminds Christian and Jew, Christians and Jews of the story of Moses. Moses was a shepherd called to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. A shepherd stumbling over himself who just happens to find a bush on fire. A bush where God speaks to Moses and says, Moses, you are on holy ground. And what do you do? You take off your shoes. You mark this reality. It's an act of noticing, noticing that God is all around. And so I wonder as we think about our external cravings for everything other than God. Do you ever slow down long enough to take off your shoes? To see God in nature? 
to see God in fields of blue bonnets and your neighbors and in the person sitting next to you? In the person uh, you despise because they were unkind to you? Or maybe you were unkind to them? God is all around us, beckoning us to take off our shoes. And what's important here, I want you to hear this because I trip over this all the time. God is not just saying, take, or you, you recognize the ground is holy, race and take your shoes off as soon as you can. Rather, he's saying, life with Jesus is a life lived where you take off your shoes each day, anticipating that the wa- ground you're walking on is constantly holy. You live it in anticipation, and whether it's the ground of reconciliation the ground of relationship building, the ground of caretaking, the ground of recovery, whether it's simply a ground filled with wildflowers. Noticing takes time and effort. It takes faith. We have to give up our time. We have to give up chasing. We have to be willing to miss something to experience life happening all around us. Because our exposed toes, our slower walk, our lack of hurry might just let us see God. How often do you slow down, stop, and take off your shoes? Or do you find yourself rather in a mode where you run with your shoes strapped on so tight you forget they're there? And what does it look like for you in your life specifically to take your shoes off? I mean, it's the way that Paul understands and experiences contentment even on your radar. Y'all, as followers of Jesus, or, or if you're wondering what it looks like to follow Jesus, the invitation is simple. You just got to take off your shoes. And believe me, I know sometimes it's easier than others. And right now is one of those times where it seems real hard to find a place to take off your shoes. It's hard to center when it feels like different fires are burning the world around us. Fires of war, fires of sickness, fires of hate. But Paul would tell us that those are the moments we take off our shoes. It's the only thing that makes sense because otherwise you will come up empty time and time again trying to find other ways to seek solace, to find rest, to find happiness. We got to stop using our stuff, our cravings for something else to get in the way of noticing God all around us. To notice God in the birth of a child, the flowers blooming, the birds singing, the painted sunset. Because for a life that believes in God, noticing God is magical. Noticing God is magical. Don't let yourself miss it. And y'all, I know it's one thing to be excited about a bush that's on fire. I know all of y'all are like, I can't wait to find a bush on fire. It's one thing to experience God on a mountaintop. 
But it's another thing for us to experience a spark and actually fan the flame of the fire in our heart time and time again. A moment in life catching fire is beautiful, but if you don't fan the flame, it will slowly fade. You'll forget about it. You might just end up forgetting the reason that Christ came to dwell amongst us. We might just become so indifferent, so numb, so machine-like that we blindly crucify the one who is all of heaven crammed into the body of a man from Nazareth. So indifferent, so numb, so machine-like that when we're driving down I-35, there's a wreck on the side causing us to slow down, us dreading the time that it's going to take to get where we're going. And we don't even care about the person that's in the wreck. All we care about is that we're not going to get the place we want to go fast enough. We might just continue to live in a state of constant sleepwalking, forgetting that our Savior was resurrected. We might just somehow walk right past the reality that all things are being made new. Not some things, all things. As a follower of Jesus, we're here to inhabit the in-between. The day-to-day, not the destinations. This is important because I will tell you, I've stumbled on this before, but I am surely not following Jesus simply for the sake of going to heaven. I'm not following Jesus simply for the sake of of going to heaven because if you are following Jesus right now, you live knowing heaven is right here. It's in this place. It's in the moments where you take off your shoes. Jesus invites us to practice resurrected life by being present. If you are simply, I'm just going to tell you this, if you are simply living a life that's completely defined by what's next, thinking, planning about it, dreading it. Stop. You don't have to do it any longer. That's not what God desires for you. Because right now, most of the time, our answer to this question is not good. How much of your life is filled with either dreading or anticipating the next thing in your life? All of it? Most of it? If your answer is like mine, it's probably not healthy. Living a life that's filled with only dreading and anticipation is a death sentence. It's not healthy for the people around us. It's not healthy uh, habits that we teach our children or our friends. It leads us to miss the gospel of noticing for the gospel of distraction. Because most of the time, instead of passing as many people as possible to get to the destination we want to get to, God would rather us stay in the right lane. Slow down pay attention, and engage with the moment. Because the truth is, when when things are out of our control, where do we go? Our schedules, our next things, 
We often lean on them so hard thinking they're going to lead the way to joy. They're going to lead the way to escape. They're going to lead the way to some high. But God says don't do that. Take off your shoes, let go, and open your eyes. Because if you don't, you will find yourself stressing so much from what's coming that you will crash from exhaustion when you make it to it or through it. Or you will build up what's next so much that all you will find when you get there is disappointment. In Christ, you are free from this reality. There is no disappointment. There is only contentment. Christ has already overcome. He's loosened the chains of stress. He's destroyed the false notion that cheap thrills and Instagram likes will fill us. And he's not just invited us, he's called us to simple ways of life. Y'all, to close this morning, uh, I just want to invite you uh, to a practice of taking off your shoes. Y'all, this week, or two weeks ago, I guess it was, I had a, I had a great talk uh, with a good friend that I just needed. Uh, I needed at a time that is just filled with too many things. And uh, he made this simple super sermon, this sermon super simple for me. Too many S's in a row right there. Don't know what's happening. He realized, or he helped me realize that the sermon that I was preaching today was for me. I find myself in the daily grind of life, of ministry, of helping to raise two kids under two, of, of being distracted by every sport I can imagine, of noticing that my, I find myself missing a lot due to distractions. And uh, he understood this. He understood this time that we find all of ourselves in, uh, and we talked about what it looks like to wrestle with that. And, uh, and there were two things that just stuck out to me in the conversation. Uh, the first of which I think was interesting and, and uh, hits home in a way that I can't even tell you all. Uh, he said when his first daughter was born, he found himself bit by, by what we, we talked about earlier. I can't wait for this. I can't wait for that. Um, I can't wait for my daughter to walk. I can't wait for her to talk. I can't wait for her to read. I can't wait for her to drive. Maybe, maybe not that one. And none of that is bad in itself, right? We love to anticipate things. We can't wait to see our kids grow up or, or people change or ourselves change. But, y'all, he found himself saying this phrase so much that his wife said something of this nature. Can you stop saying you can't wait for this and that? When you say it all the time, it sounds like you're completely dissatisfied with right now. That hits home. She was so right, and if my wife Amber was here right now, she'd be saying the same thing to me. And I can't blame her. Because there's something within us that's just hardwired. To want the next thing, to, to believe that when we find ourselves experience a miracle or a milestone that 
will find contentment there. All while ignoring that God is showing up all around us every day. God's presence is available to us in a way that is often just too simple for our imagination. God's in the folding of laundry, the keeping of bees, in making a meal and taking a walk, in planting a garden, in holding your kids. And that's where we found the second thing that he mentioned to me. My friend let me in on a secret phrase that him and his wife use in moments of noticing and centering. Uh, in these moments, they say to one another, this is a sweet spot. This is a sweet spot. They simplify the external by naming that God is here. It's their personal act of intentionally taking off their shoes and fanning the flame. Recognizing that contentment in Christ is real and unequaled. And they do this under all kinds of circumstances, but they most recently found themselves doing it, saying it, while sitting on the back porch watching the delight of their two daughters playing together. So this week the challenge is simple. I want to just ask that each day this week, you tell yourself, you tell others, you tell God that God is here in moments of your life by simply pausing and saying, this is a sweet spot. This is a sweet spot. Because if you do this, if you take off your shoes, you will see resurrection in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids, with your parents, with your friends. You will see resurrection in your job, in your faith in God, in your faith in people. It will resurrect the way you see yourself. Your fear, your capabilities, and, and you'll stop looking for the next thing, and instead you'll find yourself thanking God for the sweet spots even when life doesn't seem so sweet. Earth is crammed with heaven. Every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. I'm going to invite Corey and John to come up for the blessing, and uh, as they're doing that, uh, I am going to close us in prayer uh, as we seek to live out what this series has asked of us, uh, what Jesus has asked of us. So pray with me. God, you are here. Right now we say, God, you are here. For me, this is a sweet spot. Because God, in everything I know, everything I want to do, everything I often look forward to, uh, even at the cost of missing you, I'm reminded right now that contentment is found in you alone. That joy is found in you alone. That 
that my worth, that our worth is found in you. And God, we just pray that you would help release the chains of what's next, of I can't wait, of I'm dreading that. Don't let that define us, Lord. Embolden us with your spirit to be in the moment. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.